Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Lord taught and explained the Lord Jesus reiterated father in our lives God open our minds and understanding to hear Lord your word accept your word Lord Jesus apply it in our lives God where we may and can in the lovely name of Christ I pray the church say amen Amen. you may be seated prayer meetings and business meetings if you remember last week the angels had told the apostles that Jesus the same Jesus that is that they seen taken up into heaven would return in like manner and for the apostles that should have been some words of motivation for them that after they were endued with power from on high that they would certainly be witnesses for the Lord being that they understood that he would emphatically return unto uh, the world for the sake of taking them home with him. And so a motivation to be a witness is that the Lord is coming back. It should be a motivation for each and every one of us to let someone else know or testify wherever we are concerning the things of God because he is returning for a church that has made herself ready and so it's important to relay unto people what is necessary to be ready amen in order for there to be a church that's made herself ready and so these apostles then departed from the mount of Olivet and went to Jerusalem expecting or as we said last week more uh, or waiting more more particularly expecting for the promise of the father or of the Holy Ghost I'm not going to meander around in a Sabbath day's journey uh, as again, if, if you, I recommend you, you're never too far uh, as a podcast that you can go back to and learn about that because I spent probably 40 to 50 minutes on that Sunday concerning that. So you can look that up and just plug that in for yourself. But the Bible tells us in verses 13, 14, and 15, it tells us a few names of those that were gathered in the upper room that they went back to. And Peter even says in verse number 15 that there was about... 120 in the upper room which indicates to me there may have been less than 120 or there may have been more than 120 he was just giving us a good estimation of having been about 120 and one reason why that Peter may have purposely picked because you think out of everything you look at a crowd and you say you know what I think that's just about 120 right there I mean, for me, I, I, I stand behind the pulpit a lot of times and went to different, preached different places, and people ask me, how many do you think were there? 120 is just not an arbitrary number that I'm just going to pull out of my pocket. You say, you know what, I think there was about 120. You know, you, you, 100 maybe, I go 150, but usually just... But one reason why that he may have estimated 120 is because according to Jewish law... A minimum of 120, particularly Jewish men, were required to establish a community with its own council. And say, well, what's the big deal about that? Because a little later here in this chapter, they're going to have a, a, a voting, if you will, a casting lots on which 
man out of two should take the role in the office that Judas had served in. And so Peter may with foresight be stating, well, there's about 120, meaning that there's a good community of people here that justify us having our own counsel for the purpose of doing what we need and are going to do. And so Peter recommends later that they should fill that vacant office of Judas. And we'll talk about that perhaps a little later. But this upper room, it's an upper room. It's no doubt there was the, the, the upper room, the exact one that they were in, but there were upper rooms all around Jerusalem. Uh, houses many times the, the highest part the highest part of the house was normally called the upper room of the house as a matter of fact many orientals were known to reserve that portion of their homes for a place of prayer and a place of meditation and I don't know tonight if they did that you know we have our own today some people you know their closets of prayer are literally that you know they go into their walk-in closets and that's where they pray as a child growing up, my father went into the restroom in our home and that was his prayer closet at 5 o'clock in the morning each morning. You know, mine at my house, it's been the restroom sometimes too. My bedroom or one of my kids' bedroom, if they're not home, the living room, I have it all over. My whole property is my prayer room. I'll tell you, <laughs> you want to do those things. This is a side note. This is a big commercial, okay? But it doesn't hurt to pray in different rooms of your house. And I'm just saying this, point in fact, there was one uh, week that I was spending time of doing my office stuff at home just for a different venue, just so I wouldn't, sometimes those walls start to close in on me, just for a different change up. And so I prayed at home uh, that day, and I prayed, I decided I was going to pray in Trevor's room. I don't know if he was going through something at that time that I felt like he could just use a little extra presence in his room or not. But I remember praying there in that, in that room, and I think it was maybe on a Wednesday even, that Wednesday night, this was during the winter time, uh, we had come back home and we were putting the kids to bed and we have baseboard heaters in all of our rooms. That's the heat in our house. And we put things up and Trevor had some of his dress-up clothes was here, there, and everywhere. And I found one of his, I don't remember which, which costume it was, Captain America, a dress-up outfit that was on that heater, Brother Fred. I pulled it loose and it had melted itself on that heater in our home of course was safe nothing happened so I'm just saying this I, ain't, I don't know if there's a direct line from having prayed in there or not but I'm just call me a fool I'm just going to accept that God heard a prayer from that room amen and kept everything just as it needed to be alright amen so anyway th that was commercial amen glad you could all just enjoy that and whatever uh, if you call right now 1-800-such-at-such we'll send you nevertheless We'll double the offer if you do it in the next 10 minutes. Amen. Hallelujah. Somebody's getting their cell phone out right now. I'm not even finished. <laughs> You're a QVC addict or something. I don't know. Um, the upper room of the house being the high, highest part of the house. I don't know if they prayed there because they felt closer to God. Not the disciples, but these other people that made that uh, normally their prayer room. But I think, I think it's kind of neat that the highest part of the house was the prayer room of the house. The highest esteemed part of the house was the prayer room part of the house. Amen. And so this is also an upper room or being in that upper portion of the house is also uh, the place that the disciples, whenever they prepared the meal and made ready for the Passover feast that they would eat with Jesus, they did that also 
in a upper room. Now, whether it's the exact same upper room as what took place on the day of Pentecost, I can't give you no uh, solid answer on that, but I just know it was an upper room. The Bible says in Matthew 26, 18, and he said, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. The harmony of the Gospels then speaks in Mark 14, 15, speaking, and he will shew you a large upper room, furnished and prepared there, make ready for us. So both the Passover that the disciples had shared with the Lord and the Pentecost that happened was both observed and celebrated in the presence of the Lord, no doubt, in upper room rooms whether the same again I do not know or have any idea and so they prayed in that upper room and that highest part of the room for them was their prayer room and with that being said I think there, there's there's nothing less about that for us today that the prayer room should figuratively be the highest part of God's house should figuratively be the highest part of God's God's house and so there's there's an interesting demographic here that's gathered in the upper room. If you look at verses uh, 13 through 15, we understand the 11 disciples. I say 11 because Judas is already, already dead. The 11 disciples are here. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is in the upper room. Jesus' brethren, meaning his half-brothers and half-sisters, are in the upper room. The Bible talks about a number of women that evidently had followed the Lord, those that are oftentimes spoken of ministering unto the Lord, they were in the upper room. And there's a large number, a, a, a numbered, or a, a group that is unnamed, I should say, that's in the upper room as well. But out of all these that are gathering, so we have men, we have women, we have followers, we have, you know, just a vast, we have people that's related to him, people that's not related to him. I think it's important tonight just to emphasize a little bit that it's important to denote that both Peter and Mary, the mother of Jesus, were in the upper room. And I think it's important to list that because they were in the upper room needing the same thing all the others that were gathered in the upper room needed. They all needed the spirit of the Holy Ghost. They all needed the power of the Holy Ghost. They were all there expecting the promise, not just expecting, but needing. I think is important. Needing the promise of the... They all needed the Holy Ghost. Peter, Peter needed the Holy Ghost. Just as much as Bartholomew. Just as much as the women that ministered to Jesus. For that matter, Mary the mother of Jesus needed the Holy Ghost. Just as much as anybody else in that upper room. As a matter of fact, this is the last time we see anything concerning Mary, the mother of Jesus, in the Scriptures. We don't see anything concerning Mary from this point on in the Scriptures. In the epistles, in the book of Revelation, we don't see anything concerning Mary, the mother of Jesus. So in essence, this is her last appearance in the history of the church. And the last appearance in her history of the church is this. It finds her in an upper room waiting for redemption just like everybody else. All right. I'm doing this with purpose. Amen. Tonight, Acts 14 tells us, Acts 14 tells us that these all continued 
with one accord in prayer and supplication. Everybody say, with? With the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. I, I want to be cautious here, but I just want to relay the word of God, okay? Will you accept this as God's word today? This is where I'm, I'm coming from, the word of God. Notice in Scripture, the Bible says all these people that are in one accord, all of them continued in prayer and supplication with the women and the mother of Jesus. Here's what I want to point out. Those that are gathered here are not praying to Mary, but they are praying with Mary. All right? All the disciples, these other women, they are all praying with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Her presence is in the upper room here, amen, but she is not being prayed to. She is involved in the praying also for the promise of the Father. She's in an identical posture just like everybody else, which indicates one thing in particular, amen, that some have tried to make her. She is not a co-redeemer with Christ. She is one that needs redeemed by Christ just as much as any of the other 120 estimation that's in the upper room. And here's what I want, a biblical premise here tonight. For that matter, through Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus constantly tried to balance people's thoughts, listen to me, and opinions of the woman who gave birth to him, of Mary. He was constantly trying to temper people's thoughts and opinions of her because even in his day, listen to me, they had got somewhat out of proportion, somewhat elevated to a degree that even Jesus said, we need to be careful. The Bible says, case in point, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 11, and verse number 27, the Bible says, and it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, so here is a unknown, unnamed woman that just speaks up, she sees Jesus, and the Bible says, blessed is the womb. This is what this woman was saying to Jesus. Blessed is the womb that bare thee. So this woman is saying, blessed is Mary. Because she's the one that bore Jesus. Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. Common language this. Blessed is the woman that has, has bore you in her womb and you breastfed. The one, the one that breastfed you. All right? Blessed is that woman. Now note Jesus' response in verse number 28 concerning what this woman had said. He said, but he said, yea, rather, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. See, he's trying to keep people's opinion of the woman that brought him into the world. He's trying to keep that tempered, keep that in proportion. They're saying, man, Bless that woman right there. She, she bore you. She nursed you. He said, wait a minute. Yea, rather, blessed is he that hear the word of God and keep the word of God. In other words, it's more, listen to me carefully now, it's more of a blessing to hear the word and keep the word than it is if you were my mother. All right? It's more of a blessing if you, if you hear the word and keep the word than being the mother of Jesus. Now, Brother McGee, just walk with me here. The Bible states also, case in point, Gospel of Mark, going to the Word of God. 
chapter 3 and verse 33. What's going on here? Jesus is speaking to some people. He's speaking to a crowd and evidently his mother and his siblings are somewhere on the outskirts calling to him trying to get his attention you can read the context in which this is set they're calling to him and trying to get his attention and as they're doing this those that are gathered there around the Lord saying Lord your mom and your, your brethren your, your siblings are out there they're trying, to, they're trying to get your attention and this was the Lord's response in Mark 3.33 and he answered them saying who is my mother or my brethren and he looked around about on them which sat about him and said Behold my mother and my brethren. What are you saying, Lord? Luke 35, he explains it. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and mother. All right? Jesus is trying to keep all things in proportion here concerning that relationship between him and his mom. And although she birthed him, remember that thing that was in her was conceived of the Holy Ghost. Huh? She was a vessel. She was a piece of con. The, the conduit cannot boast of the water just because it passes through it. Let me say it like this. The conduit can't boast that it's the source of the water just because it passes through it. All right? And so, so Christ is keeping all things in, in moderation here. And listen, Jesus loved his mother. We know from the cross, as he hung from the cross, he looked at one of the other disciples, most likely John, took John to take care. Right? Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. He loved his mother because he made sure that she was taken care of from his dying hours on the cross. Amen. But even in his day, why, are these, why is Jesus saying these things? Because even in his day, there was too much importance being put on being related to Jesus and being the mother of Jesus. Maybe even the father of Jesus. We're not even reading of it, being not the biological, but the stepdad, if you will, Jesus. Too much importance being put on that, even as we just seen in Luke, because he said, well, blessed is the woman that, you know, nursed you and you, the one that bore you. But he says, wait a minute. No, blessed are they which, which, which hear the word and keep the word. And blessed are they, those that are my, my brother and my sister and my mother. It's those that do the will of God. And so Jesus was setting all perception straight. Here's what he, Jesus said in all perception straight with this. He's saying, if being my mother and brethren seem to you all as a honored and a very privileged position to you, let me put everything in perspective. You are just like them that you supposed are honored and privileged. You're just like my mom and my brethren when you do the will of God. If you esteem that as an honored position, then you know what's truly you're just the same when you do the will of God. And so he's setting all things. And so I believe, I believe Jesus was using their thoughts to direct them in a proper direction. Amen. He's using their thoughts because they're thinking, man, this is great. He says, you do the will of God, and this is where your level is. So he's using their thoughts to direct them in the proper direction. But at the same time, in doing so, he's minimizing the spiritual significance, if you will, of his mother Mary. Because being related to him, mother, half-brother, half-sister, stepdad, being related to him, regardless, you still need to do the will of God, whoever you are. 
What he's saying is this, just because she was my mom doesn't give her a perk that the rest of humanity doesn't have. Just because they're my half-brothers and sisters doesn't give them a perk that the rest of humanity does not have. Because the Bible says still all have sinned. And because of the Adamic nature, we've all been born into sin, except for Christ Jesus. And since that's the case, all still need redeemed. And all still need the Holy Ghost. He's keeping everything in proportion. So his siblings weren't nothing super special because anyone could be like them according to Christ as long as they did the will of God. And his own brethren, half-brothers and half-sisters being found in the upper room, that's a noteworthy mention as well. We talked about his mom. It's a noteworthy mention as well that his own brethren was there in the upper room because before Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, the Bible indicates that they didn't even believe in him. Now, this isn't uncommon because the Bible even talks about in his earthly walk that he went to some of these cities where his own were and his own did not receive him. Remember? Prophet was without honor in his save in his own country. Right? And so we see this, John 7, 5 says, for neither did his brethren believe in him. And so Jesus' brethren that we're aware of uh, in the scriptures consisted of James and Joseph, who is also known as Joseph, Simon, and Jude. James, that we read of in scripture, there's more than one James. The James that is the half-brother of Jesus is the one that authored the book of James, that, the one that bears his name, authored the book of James and was the first pastor of the church of Jerusalem that we read of in Acts chapter number 15. That was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. When we can talk about Jude, Jude likewise. Jude was both Jesus's and James' brothers. He was James's uh, full brother and Jesus's half-brother. But when we read this, he, James, or Jude rather, is the one that authored most likely the book of Jude that is in the scripture. Now, here's the thing. What was it that caused these brethren, these half-brothers of the Lord, to change from non-belief, not believing in the Lord, to belief? Well, there's one thing that we know for sure and for certain. That James, the half-brother of the Lord, saw the Lord after he had been buried and he rose again. Because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 and 7, that that was the case. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And to not confuse this with the other James, because the other James was already killed in Acts chapter 12. And so this is not reference to the other James. This is undoubtedly a reference to uh, the, the half-brother of the Lord, James. That after that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. If you read 1 Corinthians 15, it's talking about Jesus Christ. It's talking about how he was dead and how he's buried and how he rose again. And first of all, he was seen of 500 and he was seen of this one and that one. And so the Bible's saying he was also seen after his resurrection by James, then all the apostles. And so what could have changed James' opinion of belief in the Lord from being not believing to believing is the fact that he had witnessed his resurrected half-brother. That he was dead. He's now alive. You cannot, you cannot tell me you run into somebody that was once dead 
but it's now alive and it wouldn't change your perception or your belief concerning that person right and so it's quite likely James having witnessed this maybe he told Jude and all of them before it was said and done witnessed that the very one that they had not believed in his teachings and his messages and miracles and signs but after he had died and came back to life and walked among them and they witnessed him in his resurrection it may have very well changed their mindset so that now on the day of Pentecost he said our brother said wait for the promise of the father those that didn't believe say I believe exactly what he says now I'm high I'm hightailing it to Jerusalem because he was dead, but now he's alive. So I got belief in this. You know what? Some people need to help with their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to come in contact with his resurrection. They need to come in contact with his death. They need to come in contact with his burial. They need to come in contact with his resurrection. What are you saying? They need to be born again of the water and the spirit. That'll help a lot of people concerning their faith in God. If they have somebody that remits and removes their sins and causes them to walk in newness of life because you can't come in contact with the resurrection without it changing how you you feel about him <laughs> hallelujah and so when we look at the pages of scripture the bible interests us people on this side of the cross because we read the pages of scripture and we see very weak very fallible men and women that are used to fulfill the story of Jesus Christ. We don't read very far in Matthew chapter number one through the gene genealogy of Jesus Christ and we see that it's including women like Tamar, right? Who was deceitful to her own father-in-law and had him sleep with her and the likes of Ruth who was a Moabitess who left her gods and her land to go with her mother-in-law huh and people like what Matthew calls Uriah's wife don't call her Bathsheba but that's who it is Uriah's wife who when she was out on her thing and David summoned her to come that she lay with David and through their adulterous relationship a child was born yet they're a part of the genealogy of Christ and so we kind of lean forward a little bit when we read things like that in scripture that God would use weak and fallible circumstances to fulfill his own story. And so with that, here Peter brings to our attention to those that are gathered there in the upper room of another weak and fallible individual by the name of Judas, who in many cases own story help his own life and journey help bring about and usher in. And Jesus made a part his story a part of his story so here's Judas Judas and his apostasy Peter stands up and says folks just want you to know that again remember evidently this 7 to 10 day waiting period we had the prayer we had the worship and the blessing in the temple but there evidently been some Bible reading or Peter was just calling this to mind because he grabs everybody's attention I don't know if he'd been reading the Psalms it's like huh looky there you know, no. he says guys I just want you to know that it was predicted in the Psalms that Judas would fall and fail as a matter of fact he says the way that I read it in the Psalms 
this whole thing has been used to bring about some of the prophecies even for Christ. Mm -hmm. Judas was very instrumental in what he did and what he carried out, although it was very negative. It was bringing about some of the fulfillment of Old Testament writ. Now, here is a very sobering moment in the Scriptures. I got it. Very sobering moment because Peter is relaying to them concerning Judas, and he states the actions of Judas and his betrayal. And listen to what Peter says in verse number, in verse number 17. This always strikes me anytime I read through the book of Acts. Peter says, speaking to them, and remember the disciples are a part of this party, for he, speaking of Judas, was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Peter was telling, boys, Bartholomew, right, Thomas, guys, lean in, lean in, because Judas was one of us. It was a get real moment. Looking at, here's Peter, he's looking at the other ten. Judas was one of us. Look them in the eye. Destined for the same purpose that we are destined for. Yet he failed in that pursuit. See, that's a real good point where today we would say, say for the grace of God, there go I moments. And Peter knew that which he spoke of because it hadn't been too long that his three denials had taken place. He says he was destined for the same same purpose as we are yet he failed in his pursuit and so in a underlying way Peter's looking at them and saying then who really are we that happened to Judas who are we because any of us could have been the Judas of the group any of us could have succumbed to the same thing and so Peter goes on, he tells a story that they're familiar with, maybe some, some are familiar, some maybe not familiar, but he tells them how, how the money, the money that Judas had received for betraying the Lord was used to buy a field, the scripture says, Al-Sadama, the Bible says, which is interpreted the field of blood. Judas did not buy, per se, the property personally himself because he had returned that money back to the priest Amen. Because he realized that he was, he was doing something to an innocent man and to the degree that it was going to go to and he just threw the money back to them for them to do with it as they would but they couldn't do anything with it because now it was, it was money that was tainted. It was literally filthy lucre because it was the price for a, man, a man's life and a man's soul. So more than likely they bought this field but that money was still seen as though belonging to Judas as though then he was the one buying it. Because that was his money. And so the Bible says in Matthew 16, 26, we have the unplaying, I think, a little question here that's the unplaying of Judas's story or the playing of Judas' story. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That was Judas's money that was used to buy that field Judas lost his soul, and all he gained out of it was a field, a literal cemetery where people, many unnamed, 
were buried. The field of blood. What an exchange for your soul. And so Peter goes on and tells us the story. And you, you can be looking in the book of Acts. I'm just kind of going down through here. I know I'm not giving you verses, but the story's right there in Acts chapter number one. He tells us how Judas fell headlong and burst his midsection. This is, he's really detailed. With his bowels just gushing out. Call them bowels, entrails, call them intestines, call them anything you want to. His inyards were outwards. <laughs> Busting out. The Bible says, though, according to Matthew 16, 26, Matthew says Judas hanged himself. And so here in, here in Acts, Peter is telling them that he fell headlong and his, his, his midsection burst out and his bowels busted in here. Matthew says he hanged himself and all the liberals want to say, there's a contradiction in the word of God. They said they hung him. He said they fell. Liberal society, that's what they're telling you. But I understand the inerrant word of God. I understand the gospels to be a harmony that they tell parts of the story from a perspective. And when I take this piece with this piece with this piece, that the story as a whole becomes more complete. And so what I understand then, I take the scripture as the scripture. That no doubt that Judas must have hung himself. Must have. And so he had to hang himself before there was any bursting of his midsection. More than likely. It's quite possible he hung himself and made, I'm, I'm just throwing this out here, but I'm just saying scripture is not an error. Scripture is scripture. That he hung himself and who knows how many days, the Bible tells how many days he hung there. Who, I'm, just, I'm just throwing this in there. I believe scripture that these both things happen. Yeah. That he probably hung himself under this a probability. He may have hung himself, was there long enough, whether the flesh started getting real loose, Brother Fred, or what, or the rope, or whatever it was. Something broke. He probably hit the ground already being somewhat bloated and burst with the body. Yeah. I don't have to bring it. Oh, there's a contradiction in Scripture. Anybody saying that, particularly in the Gospels, you are off your rocker. Because the Gospels are these different perspectives. That's the reason why they're called harmony. Because they bring harmony to the Scripture. Because you take all of these, this, this fanfare of information and it, it creates a story. For that matter, consider Matthew who was writing primarily to a Jewish audience. All right? A Jewish audience that considered suicide to be bad. So Matthew wants to include, no doubt, in the writing of his book and even inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Judas hung himself. That's really going to have a sharp, sharp point with those that believe suicide is bad. Judas took his own life. But Luke, on the other hand, primarily writing to a Gentile audience. Remember the awfulest man in the Bible? <laughs> the awfulest writing primarily to a Gentile audience, amen, which didn't necessarily consider suicide bad. And for that matter, Matthew is sharing the main fact with those of the Jews at that point in time that didn't have no idea perhaps what happened to Judas or what took, took, took place. So he's just giving them the, the main fact. Judas hung himself in Matthew. But when we get Peter sharing the details in the gospel or in the book of Acts, amen, people are well related with this by now, what has happened to Judas. So they're just, he's just filling in the details. The one that we is, we is all acquainted with that we know was hung, well, back to the matter, even fell in his midsection, bust open his bowels or on the ground. Amen? The Bible says in Acts, verse number 16, I gotta, I gotta hurry. Did you tell me to hurry? No, I didn't know if you lifted at me or what. Is that raised eyebrow, that wink and grin halfway? 
cocked head, I guess it did it. Acts 1 and verse 16, the Bible says, now look here, we're in this area now where uh, Peter is, is submitting that they filled the vacant office that Judas fulfilled. Matthew 1 and verse 6, not Matthew, Acts 1 and verse 16. Men and brethren, the scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David, speaking of Psalms, spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. Skip down to verse 20, because everything in between I've already talked about. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Now, whether Peter was perusing the scriptures right now during that 7, seven to 10 interim of time, or whether it was just something that came to his mind, I don't know. But evidently, he's seen these two verses that seem to pertain to the vacancy of the office of Judas. And in verse 20, in verse 20, he just kind of sandwiches two verses out of the book of Psalms together. Because there's not a verse that says those two things just in one verse in Psalms. There's two separate verses that he just kind of sandwiches together in verse 20. And I think uh, with, with proper means, Peter is doing this because he understands they, they, they relate to the same thing. They relate to Judas. Here are the two verses from the Psalms that, that Peter pulled from. Psalm 69 and verse 25, the Bible says, Let their habitation be desolate, and let none dwell in their tents. You know it's powerful on a Wednesday night when they're already coming to the altar. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> Amen. I tell you, you start talking about the book of Acts, it just, watch out. Amen. The second verse. There's just times I, that was not for no embarrassing thing at all. That don't bother me one bit, but I know everybody just kind of went like this, so we just might as well talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Psalms 109 and verse 8 is the other, the other verse, the other verse that he brings. He says, let his days be few and let another take his office. Both of these verses are found in what's known as messianic psalms. Both of these psalms, Psalm 69, Psalms 109, are known as messianic psalms, those that uh, concern the Lord and the time of his crucifix and, and his death and his uh, resurrection and things that lead up to that. And so when we look at Psalm 69 and we look at the word there, we look at the word there, the Bible says, let their habitation be desolate. Let none dwell in their tents. While the there in Psalm 69, that, that certainly includes more than just Judas. You wouldn't just refer to Judas as a there, unless he was schizophrenic and had a multitude of personalities. But he, 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 there. So it's referring just, just to more than just Judas right here. Amen. But it also is not excluding Judas whenever you read this verse. And so Judas's betrayal was a part of the divine plan of God. Look, the Bible says there in Psalm 69, 25, let none dwell in their tents. Now, point right here. That does not have anything to do with someone not fulfilling the office that Judas had vacated because of his death. Whenever it says, let none dwell in the tents of their habitation, we're not saying, well, okay then no one should fill the role of Judas because it says, let none dwell in their tents, all right? No. But what this is stating to us is this, is that those people should have desolate 
habitations. Whenever I say there, we're not just talking about Judas. We're talking about every other individual that had some type of hand, plan, operation in the crucifix of Christ. We're talking about people who punched him through the side with the spear. We're talking about the ones that made the crown of thorns. Those people, he's saying, let their habitation be desolate and let none dwell in their tents, including Judas in that group. We don't want them to have no posterity. We don't want them to have children. We don't want them to be fruitful in their own families. That's what the scripture is saying. We don't want them to be fruitful in their own families. Those people should have desolate habitations without any children dwelling in their tents. But in Psalms 109 and verse 8, it indicates that there needs to be a replacement. It says, let his days, and this is particular, single, one person. Let his days be few and let another take his office. There necessitated then a replacement. And to do so would be obedient to the scriptures. And so there's a mutual connection between Psalm 69, Psalms 109. No doubt they both have some type of application to Judas. But the second one, Psalms 109, tells us let another take his office. Let there be another that would take his office. And so Peter stands up and says, we need to find someone else to, to occupy his bishopric, his bishopric, another to take it. And so that's what Peter is orchestrating right here in this moment. And in order to do that, so I, see, I, this is the reason why we talk about prayer meeting business, because we're in the business meeting now, okay? This is the business meeting. <laughs> there were only two people among them, evidently, that met the qualifications of being an apostle. Justice and Matthias. The criteria, the criteria in order to function as an apostle was this, according to the scripture. It's right there before you in Acts chapter number 1. The criteria was this. This person must have been a witness of the baptism of Jesus and unto the time that he ascended. The second qualification was they must be a witness of the resurrected Christ. And the third qualification, if we'll call it that, I think we can, they must be chosen of God. All right? They must be chosen of God. The Bible even says in verse 24, they bring these two before the Lord and they say, shew whether these two thou hast chosen. Speaking to the Lord. We want to know which one you've chosen, God. These two meet the other two qualifications, but the third qualification, we can't make that one up. That belongs to you. You have to call them. And so the Bible says in Acts 1 and verse 26, and they gave forth their lots, meaning Justice and Matthias, that they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now, I don't want to put it on this base of a level, but this is one way you can understand. It's kind of like drawing straws. It's, it's kind of like putting your name in a hat and drawing one out. All right? We'll say, well, that lot of that's kind of given to chance. No, listen to me. When you read throughout the Old Testament, this is the way that many decisions, amen, biblical decisions even, was made in Scripture. Amen. Prior to the, listen, prior to the Holy Ghost, this is the way that many decisions were made in Scripture. Decisions where it came to a place that there was no certain direction of one being quite right and the other one being quite wrong. These are two people that met the first two qualifications. They're kind of at a loss right here. And so this 
this was a common way to come to a decision. And please listen to me. This was not a gamble. This was not a hocus pocus. Amen. Because they were depending on God for the outcome. They were basically saying, we got a decision here, God, and we want your interaction and in what the choice to be made. That's really, we still do that, folks. God, I got two decisions. I really can't, I don't feel what God, I need your intervention in this, right? So this isn't hocus pocus. This isn't, well, they're really leaving this the chance, you know. No, the Bible says in Proverbs 16, it says the lot is cast into the lap but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. So they might have drew lots, but Mathis was the man because Mathis is the man that God wanted to be the man. All right? Now listen. Well, I'm not, I don't want to go, go like way over yonder, but this does not apply. Listen to me. Isn't, <laughs> this, is not, this does not apply to you playing blackjack and shooting this is not applying to any gambling problem you got you want to misapply this scripture right here and say well bless God see they cast lots like just throwing dice and no 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 you are so way out this is where qualifications have already been met and it came to a spot that they just needed God's divine intervention you hearing me I'm going to have church. I can give you God's intervention on what we just talked about right there. Proverbs 16, I told you. So he said, the disposing thereof is of the Lord. And so they cast lots, but God disposed the outcome. That's the way it was before Pentecost. Listen to me. And this is the reason why I believe this is included in Acts 1. That's the way things were before Pentecost. That's the way things were before the Holy Ghost was inside of men and women. But after Pentecost, the Holy Ghost, I want to say the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is a guide. And the Holy Ghost is a teacher. And the Holy Ghost is instrumental in the decisions that we make. The yeah. I think he's showing a strike contrast to the way it was before they had the Spirit and the way it was after they had the Spirit. You don't see, you don't see them casting lots, drawing straws, or any other of that business beyond Acts chapter number 1 in the epistles or further out. Because now, uh-huh, now the Holy Ghost is inside them. In so much, the Bible says in Acts 13, they were, they were trying to choose a couple of men to do ministry and to go serve and, and build churches and minister on missionary journeys. And so the Bible says, as they ministered, Acts 13 verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord, these group of elders and people and fasted, and even those that were chosen, the Holy Ghost, everybody say the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and saw for the work whereunto I have called them. The Holy Ghost. Everybody say the Holy Ghost. Not a man, not because they cast lots, but because the Holy Ghost spoke up. Yeah. Woo. The Holy Ghost spoke up and said, I'm going to separate this man right here, and I'm going to separate this man right here, and i got a work for them to do. Listen, listen. This is not some Old Testament fable or New Testament fable that I'm reading to you tonight it still happens today it still happens today I remember being a boy 
12 years old and feeling the Spirit of God smite my heart and leading me and guiding me into a ministry for His kingdom. Amen. I didn't cast a lot and get out the blue, purple, and yellow straws in our house. Hallelujah. But that Spirit that I had received at 8 years old stood up inside me and said, i got to work for you. After Pentecost, he guides, he teaches. No, the Bible says in Acts 13 that there were prophets and they laid their hands on Barnabas and Saul. And the Bible says that after they did that, they even sent them. But verse 4 says the Holy Ghost sent them forth. Hands of men were on them praying for them and it said that they sent them. Well, that's the way it looked like in the natural being an observer. But in reality, the Holy Ghost had a say-so and all that. And the Holy Ghost was guiding. And the Holy Ghost was directing. That's the reason why we say if you feel a certain bend sometimes to a certain direction in ministry or even outside of these walls, there's sometimes there's leaders and people in your life and you ask them, they say, I was feeling the exact same thing. What is that? That's the Holy Ghost. That's the Holy Ghost working here. That's the Holy Ghost working with the leadership for the purpose of his kingdom. It's the Holy Ghost. Acts 15, 28. I gotta hurry. Kids are out of school though. Acts 15, verse 28. The Bible says, For it seemed good, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. Why do you think it seemed good to them? Because if they are submitted to the Holy Ghost that they have, it's gonna seem good to them and the Holy Ghost that they have. Now you can still have the Holy Ghost in it not seem good to you. Many times that's because there's a faulty relationship between you and your Holy Ghost. When your idea betrays the Holy Ghost's idea, let me tell you, you're safer to go with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Said it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to the leaders of the Jerusalem church to lay no greater burden upon the Gentile believers then to abstain from meats offered to idols from blood from things strangled and from fornication it seemed good to us but to the Holy Ghost being a, a guide or a tool of guidance Acts 20 and verse 28 the Bible says I'm running that's not what it says that's what I'm saying take heed it says that in other places in scripture take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock the apostle Paul he's speaking to Ephesian elders here he said take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you Ephesian elders, overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So Paul's telling these Ephesian elders, saying the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost has made you Ephesian elders, overseers of the church. The Holy Ghost has. And so from the end of Acts 1 forward, the reference that we read of is to the 12 apostles because Judas' office has been filled. Even prior, listen to me, even prior to Saul's conversion, Saul who became Paul, who many times starts his epistles and letters out, I, Paul, the apostle of Christ, even for Paul was converted, it refers to them as the 12 apostles.
So this selection of Judas wasn't about a group of people getting together and selecting him. For modern day purposes, it wasn't about a church board meeting electing him. All right? But the election was the doing of the Lord. They said, we'll bring those who are qualified, but God, you make the choice. <laughs> we read even later in Scripture that Saul, who was converted and called Paul later, that he is called, as I said, an apostle. How in the world can that be? It's the choosing of the Lord. Walk with me here, and I'll, I'll close. I guarantee you I will. We'll get done before 8.30. But listen, put your ears on just for a moment. How can this be? Because there is a line of people that believe that the, the row and the office of the apostle is no more valid today. Are you listening to me? That there are no more apostles because they need to meet the qualification in Acts chapter number 1 of being a witness of the baptism of Christ, being a witness of the resurrection of Christ, and be chosen by God. Because those were the qualifications for the aspect of the apostle. Listen to me. While on a very literal level, there is no one here today, unless I missed it and you really owed, that was there at the literal baptism of Christ. There's no one here today that was there during the literal resurrection of Christ. But Paul is even called an apostle. Listen to me. I'm a firm believer that there are still apostles today. I'm a firm believer. Whenever I read the book of Ephesians talking about he gave some, huh? that there's, there's, there's prophets and there's evangelists and there's pastors and teachers and there's apostles, that that was beyond just the church at Ephesus, but that was the church of every generation. Listen to me. What about though, Pastor McGee, the first two qualifications? God may call them, but what about the first two Qualifications. Look at verse 21. The Bible speaking the qualifications of those of you in that hour says, Wherefore of these men which have, everybody say, companied. Wherefore of these men which have companied with us all the time of the Lord Jesus in and out among us, beginning at the baptism, the resurrection, and they must be chosen of God. What about these men? Listen to me. Are you listening? We are accompanied with them. Are you listening? We are accompanied with them through our personal baptism in Jesus' name. Because we're all, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 13, I think it is, tells us that we're all by one spirit baptized into one body. We are accompanied with them might I say even with him mm -hmm. through our baptism in Jesus name the Bible says I was buried with him in baptism <laughs> in essence not in a literal way but in a spiritual way I have been a witness of his baptism because I'm buried with him in baptism Secondly, well, what about this newness of life, this resurrection? Because the New Testament also tells me that I will walk in newness of life as he has been resurrected. 
And so I accompany him in a spiritual sense through my own baptism. I witness his baptism through my own new walk. I witness his resurrection. And then God just has to put a call on you in order for it to be a possible. Is everybody okay? So see, what was once a literal thing is really a, there's a lot of things because remember that taking place right then and there is before Pentecost. We're still living up to the law to this time until Christ came spirit form. And living under the law, we're looking at a very literal concrete thing that Christ is going to resurrect, so to speak, or translate. Here is the shadow and he's going to give us the substance. The substance is you witness my baptism when you're baptized. You witness my resurrection when you receive the Holy Ghost. And I'll put my call on you if I want you to be apostle. Amen? Stand with me and I'll, I'll, i got eight minutes. If I need it. And so the call for a true apostle then is really left to God. Because those that have been born again of the water and the spirit, you have spiritually witnessed his baptism and his resurrection. And so whether or not you'll be an apostle, that's left up to God. Whether or not you'll be a pastor, that'll be left up to God. Whether or not you'll be a teacher or evangelist, it's all left up to God. And evidently he chose Paul by the same standard. Because even he is accounted as a, an apostle. I just want to make one last comment. And it comes from verse 25 of Acts 1. And this will finish out Acts chapter number 1. One other comment. It's kind of like a little postscript here at the end of this lesson. Verse 25 says, Judas, just a phrase from there I want to point to, Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. That phrase is basically speaking of, of death. Judas, because of his transgression, transgression fell from his office and his place in so much that he might go to his own place speaking of his death Judas went listen Judas went to his own place listen to me I'm closing I'm being still death you hearing me that's what that phrase is speaking about Judas's death death becomes the securing of your own place let that just rest on your mind here for a moment Death becomes the securing of your death becomes the securing of the place that you've been preparing for all through your life. Does that make sense? Death becomes the securing of your own place. Said a different way, it'd be like this. Death solidifies what you were in life. Death solidifies what you were in life. In many ways, it is a revealer of what you were in life. At the moment of death, the mode is cast at the point of death. How you lived your life, the mode is it, right there at death, it's cast. And so what that tells us is that we must be circumspect, careful. The biblical word circumspect, that means careful. We must be careful how we live. Because how we live when we die will solidify our place. So whenever you leave church and you go tomorrow and you tell whenever you went on Wednesday night Bible study, we had both a prayer meeting and a business meeting. Amen.
Let's close our eyes in this place. Father, I love you tonight. God, I'm thankful. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.